It's the day of Pentecost. And the apostles are gathered together in one room in Jerusalem. And we aren't sure exactly what happened, but we know it was something really big, right? It was so big. It was like, by all accounts, the apostles were just hanging out, kind of the usual day, just a bunch of Jesus followers who still don't have a common vision or mission or goal in their lives. Just a hodgepodge, still wondering who might be first in the kingdom of heaven and whether Jesus would be back before the end of summer. They've seen the risen Christ. They're waiting for the advocate, the Holy Spirit to arrive, the one that Jesus has promised to send them. And suddenly, while they're sitting there, I think, with bored, tedious looks on their faces, there is the sound like a rushing wind. And it looks like tongues of fire are coming up out of their heads. And when they're all talking at once, they begin to run out into the street and they start telling the salvation story from beginning to end. Peter jumps up and starts preaching the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, both men and women, I will pour my spirit upon, and even my slaves shall prophesy and then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They are hearing a word that transcends human limits. The Spirit is speaking in ways maybe we cannot understand, and yet somehow they all get it. We feel that message. It's like a fire in our bones. It causes a commotion so big that nearly 2,000 years later we're still talking about it. We often want those spirit-filled moments, but we should be careful what we ask for. When the spirit shows up, it isn't comfortable. Mary, an unwed girl, is going to become pregnant with God's child. The spirit shows up. Jesus is driven out into the wilderness. His faith is tested. He comes back out of the wilderness on fire with a message about the kingdom of God and the world. Disciples moping around in a room are suddenly running about in the street and the people think they're drunk and out of their minds. But the Spirit is about making connections. It's about creating community. It's about opening up possibility. It's unleashing potential. First, it has to shake us up. Pentecost, and this may be a stretch, so y'all are going to have to stick with me a little bit here, but Pentecost reminds me, this story of Pentecost, of an experience that I had years ago at my first call. I arrived, I was in Harrington, Kansas, population, they claim 2,000, I, I think it's a stretch. A city with not a single traffic light anywhere in it. And I was still pretty citified coming out of Chicago. And I needed an education. And so one of the members, Ellen Granzo, invited me to lunch, and she had a little surprise in store for me. Little did I know. She had decided that my Harrington education and transformation would not be complete until I had been to the sale barn. So she picked me up in this great big old, you know, steel pickup truck. She had her little son in the back seat. And she said, okay. And I said, well, where are we headed for lunch? And she said, you'll see. And she drove up in front of the sale barn, and she parked the vehicle. 
And we went inside, and everybody who was there knew I didn't fit in and didn't belong. Everything was new and different. I was like a little kid with a million questions, and my eyes, I'm sure, were really, really large, taking it all in. We ate in a little diner in the sale barn. I didn't even know there was a diner in the sale barn. Best hamburgers around. And then she took me into the barn itself to watch some bidding and to see how all that worked. And I walked in, and I felt like I stood out like a sore thumb. I was wearing bright red, I had on sandals. Everybody else had on boots. Everybody else had on Western wear, at least more earth and sky tones than I was wearing. They looked quiet and assured. We sat on the left side and my education began. I learned about udders and bone structure and how to calculate the cost per pound. I asked a million questions. I tried to blend in, which was, of course, impossible. Maybe it's the way I jumped when the whips cracked. Suddenly, three bovine beasts come charging. I mean, and this thing is like a little amphitheater, and we're sitting up, and there's a pit with two doors and, a, and a, an iron rail fence around the pit that sticks up pretty high, and there's cowboys dripping from the rafters, and it's loud and noisy, and there's clanging and banging and slamming of things. A cow comes running out in. Well, she's right on her tail is a bull, and on the tail of the bull is another cow. And somebody's screaming, why are these animals in here? Get that bull out of here. It's obvious that the bull is very interested in the cow. <laughs> they get the cow out. They shoo her through a gate, a door slams shut. They get the other one out the other gate, and the bull, in frustration and anger, bangs himself against this door, trying to beat it down. And when that doesn't work, he immediately pivots to his right and begins to climb the fence out of the pen. I didn't know anything that big could climb like a ladder, but he did. I watched him right up over the rail, and he plopped down into the seat where this elderly man named Toby Meyer usually would sit. Toby had just gone to get a hamburger, thank God. The bull gets up out of the seat, kind of shakes himself, snorts. He's in a fury and a rage of frustration. And then he turns and begins to charge up the aisle right by where I'm sitting, you in all seats. Beware. Snorting and looking crazed, and people begin leaping over the backs of their seats, including me, and men who previously had looks of studied boredom on their faces. One was even taking a little nap, are now moving like lightning. I kid you not. And I'm no longer an outsider. I've now got something in common with them. I am one of the gang at last, and we are running for that exit fast. Somebody's yelling, go to the parking lot. And I'm like, the parking lot? Why do we have to, can't we just go into the next room? No, we won't be safe till we're in the parking lot. I'm saying, Ellen, come on, you've got the car doors locked. She's right behind me, dragging her young son. I'm ashamed to say that we trampled an elderly man with a cane in our haste. At times like that, you discover the depths of your own depravity. We run right into the business office, and they tell us to keep right on running. The double doors fly open. The herd of people exits into the parking lot. We do not slow down yet. 
past the trucks, into the van, slam the door shut. My heart will not stop pounding for 24 hours. People are sitting in their trucks, peering, waiting to see if this beast is going to come charging out, all wondering what's about to happen next. Eventually, a few windows tentatively roll down, and everybody is talking at once. How big was he? You say he came over the fence? I was sitting at the diner at the time. Wasn't that something? Is he coming out now? What? A lady hit him with her purse? Yeah, he came right at her and she couldn't get up fast enough, so she just took her purse and walloped him and he went right on by. I hear he put a giant dent in the back wall, like to knock himself silly. After that, he was as gentle as a lamb. They just led him right back down to the ring. You know, somebody said, this happened at a sale barn in Canada once. And we were no longer people of separate stories. Now we were people with one story. And we were telling that story passionately all over town. Now maybe it's not the same as the apostles preaching and baptizing 3,000 people in a single day. And I'm not saying that a giant raging bull is exactly the same as the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, but it was definitely a spirit-filled moment. You see, that barn is usually full of children on a Wednesday. Little kids playing all in the aisles. But because of the Canadian mad cow scare, the place was pretty empty that day. And then there's the whole community building business, taking a bunch of individuals, some of them even strangers, even one citified girl wearing red who really stuck out, and made us one, at least for a day. You know, according to the Bible, the Holy Spirit descends on us without warning, makes radical changes in our lives that we had not planned on, and drives us into risky territory. To be spirit-filled is to be shaken up. To be spirit-filled is to be driven out into the world like our hair's on fire, bursting with the good news of God's kingdom. It's hardly dignified, this spirit-filledness. And if we get it right, people are going to think we are drunk and out of our minds. In fact, Frank Crouch points out, if you, if you parse the Greek, the description of this is not so much that people were just kind of baffled and bemused. It says the onlookers were in an uproar. They were beside themselves, undone, blown away, thoroughly disoriented by this band of Jesus followers all telling their story in the street in various languages. I think that's kind of how it was when we started years ago to do this Saturday's Miracle Breakfast. And that was definitely one of those spirit moments. We knew it because we were scared to death. We were convinced we couldn't do it. We were convinced it was a bad idea, and I know there were people who were looking at the whole thing and saying, you know, this is really, truly ill-advised and downright nuts. But we jumped in anyway, and God provided, and there were people who showed up and volunteers who appeared, and we sort of figured it out as we went along, and it was a messy process, and the money came in, and before long, people were speaking a lot of different languages in the basement of this church, Swahili, Russian, Spanish, and various uh, versions of, of American English. 
We called it the Saturday's Miracle Breakfast because we knew it was going to take a lot of miracles. That's what it's like when the Spirit rushes in. It shakes you up. It prompts you. It makes you do things you hadn't planned to do. It gives you a vision. It makes you dream dreams. It drives you kind of half out of your head and into the street where you connect with other people. It's time maybe to restart the breakfast again or approaching time. I'm not saying like next week or next month, but it's coming. And we have that fear, that same fear all over again. We're not going to have enough volunteers. You know, we need new leadership. We need a bigger vision. We need people with fresh ideas. It's going to be really hard starting over again. Maybe we don't have the energy. And the temptation is to make it smaller and smaller and more manageable and somehow something we can do all on our own. But that is not Pentecost. Pentecost is about being driven out of our safe spaces and be beyond our capabilities and beyond our comfortable ways and on fire with the inbreaking kingdom of God and all the potential and power that it holds. The word is out. The community is already coming to the door, asking, knocking, saying, when's it going to start? Maybe, too, it's time to think bigger. Maybe it's more than the Saturday's Miracle Breakfast. What else might God be calling us to do in the world? Is it ministry for people who are differently able? Could we maybe become specialists for those who are hearing impaired or vision impaired or just mobility impaired? Maybe we need to have support groups. Whatever it is, the Spirit of Christ is here, driving us into the world, on fire with the story of God's transforming love. We are God's Pentecost people. God's advocate has come here to be with us, to infuse us, to equip us, to give us the words that we do not have, to show us the way, to provide the resources. All we have to do is remember that we've got a story worth telling, a story that happened 2,000 years ago that was so fabulous some of us are still talking about it. Amen.